Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. I hope the beginning weeks of school are going well for all of you. Here in Connecticut, where I'm based, students are in school part-time and distance learning part-time, which so far seems to be working okay. Cross your fingers. Um, I hope that maintains, and I hope it's going well for the rest of you. I know there's a lot of frustration out there about how COVID-19 is impacting school and the college search, so I can't solve it, but you know, here on the show, we're giving people a lot of suggestions, and we just want you to know that we hear you. Things are not perfect. All right, now on to our show. For my second segment, Office Hours, I'll be joined by Lauren Randall, a show regular who is here to talk with me about whether students should report test scores. It's a complicated issue, so uh, that'll take a few minutes. And then for my third, Ian Fisher, one of the other hosts, will be here to talk about getting denied from his first choice college, only to be very happy at the school he eventually attended. But first, I'm joined by Chrissy Ferran, College Coach Finance Consultant, to address filing the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, in the fall. So welcome, Chrissy. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and dig right into it. What is the FAFSA? I mean, I just kind of spelled it out for people, but everyone's going to forget it immediately. I certainly <laughs> did until I heard it about 35, 50 times. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, let's start with what is the FAFSA? So yeah, the FAFSA, that basically stands for the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. Um, the FAFSA is basically just the main application for financial aid that um, any parent will want to file if they have a child going off to school. Um, every, almost every college in the nation will use that application um, to determine um, if students are eligible for federal financial aid, um, state financial aid, and then a lot of times their own institutional eligibility for school scholarships. So state schools use the, the FAFSA, private schools use it, um, community colleges use it. Um, so everybody uses it to, to determine if you're eligible for grants, scholarships, um, interest-free loans, and things like work study. So those are all considered financial aid, which is what is the FAFSA helps determine. Mm -hmm. So even if a family thinks they just might need a few loans, they still yep. need to file the FAFSA. Yeah, so that's a big thing is that even if you don't think you qualify for any any kind of free money, scholarships or anything, you still want to fill that out just to make sure that if you do need to borrow federal loans, parent loans or student loans, that's something you'll want to fill out each year. Mm -hmm. All right. So how do people prepare for the FAFSA? Um, so the FAFSA actually opens every year on October 1st. So um, if you have a child that's going to school this coming, I'm sorry, next fall of 2021, the FAFSA um, October 1st is the one that you're going to want to fill out. Um, you want to make sure that you're checking all of the individual colleges that your child's applying to for filing deadlines. Um, every college has their own priority filing deadline. And so it's important to know um, that you're not missing any of that. To, otherwise, you might miss out on financial aid um, opportunities. Um, so you want to make sure you're checking filing deadlines. You, um, one of the first things you'll want to do is get your federal student aid ID. Um, for one for the student and one for the parent. So that's something you can obtain through the FAFSA website. 
Um, but this federal student aid ID is just basically your uh, electronic signature. And so a child needs one, the student needs one, and the parent needs one. So you have two separate ones. Um, you want to gather financial documents. So um, the FAFSA for this year, if, again, if you have a child going off to school in fall of 21, they're going to be looking at your tax return from 2019. So you want to gather those financial documents. If you have any types of investments, you're going to want to know the, the amounts of, of what's, what you have in those. Um, and then obviously with college selection, um, the great thing about the FAFSA is that there is only one application that you have to fill out. Um, and you can add up to 10 schools at a time on that one application. So you're not filling out an application for every single college. It's just the one application you need, which is great. Mm -hmm. So I know I kind of already asked this, but just to emphasize, so even if someone doesn't qualify for aid, they might want to file the FAFSA for loans. Is there any other reason that they might want to go ahead and file it? Yeah, and we actually have this conversation quite a bit with, with families that, um, you know, they just don't think they qualify. And one of the biggest reasons is there are some schools out there that um, won't really look at students um, for merit scholarships until they have a FAFSA on file. Um, and so a lot of parents say, you know, we're not going to file, we don't qualify for scholarships. But um, if you think your child has merit opportunities, which are the academic scholarships that are offered through the admissions office, um, it's important, at least for their first year of college, that you have a FAFSA on file because they're not so much looking at the FAFSA for financial purposes, but they use the FAFSA for a lot of other reasons. So they use it to determine citizenship. They use it to make sure that male students are registering with selective service. Um, it's the document they can use for social security, date of birth match with their name. So schools actually use it for a lot of other purposes. Um, plus schools just wanna make sure that you know, every family files a FAFSA so that we know if you're eligible or not, because some families think they're not eligible but they really are, depending on you know how many kids they have in college, that sort of thing, what schools they're looking at. So, um, and again, if financial things change for families in the future, it's a good idea to have a FAFSA on file so that you can borrow those student loans or parent loans if you need to do that um, suddenly, rather than having to go back in and have the FAFSA filed. You already have it done. So, can can someone file the FAFSA even if they haven't marked? Yes, I will be applying for financial aid on the application. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, there's a couple of schools, you know, out there in the nation that, you know, they'll say, if you don't file your FAFSA with us your first year, we're not going to allow you to file it in subsequent years. That's mm. very far, few and far between. But for the most part, um, you can certainly file the FAFSA at any point. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, I actually worked with one student whose parents were, believe me, there was no way they were qualifying. Like they uh -huh. were in, they weren't just 1%. They were like 0.001%. And um, so I was like, you don't need to file the FAFSA because yeah. merit aid wasn't on the table for the schools that she was yeah. looking at. And um, they still asked her to file it at the school she ended up going to. But it wasn't too yeah. late. You know, like they right. weren't the school. It wasn't like they were like, we're withdrawing your admission. They just said, right. we want you to file this. Yeah. Yeah. And it never it, it usually doesn't have anything to determine, you know, admission status or, or anything like that. But and you can even file it late into the year, too. So, mm -hmm. you know, if your child does start their school year and something does happen and you haven't filed it, you can certainly file it at that point. So it's not ever, you know, too late to file the FAFSA, but um, it's a really good idea to file it, especially their first year, because that's when the merit scholarship is established if they're eligible. And, you know, most colleges guarantee that scholarship for four years. So if, you know, if you're not filling out all the forms, you could miss out on some money. So mm -hmm. at least that first year, I would definitely file it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I wasn't too worried about it for them, but 
Sure. And if you're hoping for merit at all, it sounds like it is a good idea. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, and even in this, you know, with the pandemic going on and just the times that we're in, you just never know with employment and you know what might happen. So it's it's a good idea to just have that handy in case you do need to, to mm-hmm. borrow. Yeah, I'm working with a family who, you know, has sent their first two kids to college, had the savings, but with current issues, they are applying for aid for their third and they will likely qualify. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a different state of affairs right now. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you have more than one child going to college, I would very much recommend filing your FAFSA, even if you don't qualify. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so people should file every year, it seems like, too. Yeah, so that's kind of the question a lot of parents have is is if they do have, you know, one child, do they have to file it just once and then they're done for college or do they have to do it every year? It is something you have to file every year for every child. So each child in your household or each student needs their own FAFSA and you should do it every year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, because part of the questions on the forms might include student employment, right? So different students might have their own sources of income, that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Especially once they get to college and they, you know, maybe they do work study or they're, you know, doing some summer job, part-time jobs, things like that once they're in school. So yeah, that's, that's important that, that you file too for that reason. Yeah. I never made enough for it to impact, but I had friends who were good with computers. <laughs> My friends who were good with computers actually brought in some enough money yeah. for it to be something they had to like really register. So Right, right. <laughs> All right. And uh, how do people file if it's a divorced couple? Yeah. So again, that's a big question that we get. Um, if couples are divorced, usually what the FAFSA will ask for, what, what the FAFSA asks for is they want the information of the custodial parent. So um, if you're separated or if you're divorced, they're not going to ask for the income and assets of both parents. They're only going to ask for that for the what they call the custodial parent. Um, the FAFSA um, defines who the custodial parent is by who the child has lived with the most in the last you know, six months. Um, if that's not the case, then it's the parent that provides the most support. Um, so usually you just need one of the parents on that tax, or I'm sorry, on that FAFSA. And, um, you know, and then it can get tricky if you've just recently been divorced and you filed taxes jointly. So you'll want to make sure that you're talking with, you know, the colleges, um, or, you know, scheduling calls with us, um, so that we can kind of walk you through how to do that. Mm -hmm. It does seem like it's important to note that some colleges are still going to want the non-custodial parents information. Yeah. Um, Not through the FAFSA, but through other forms, right? Yeah, that's a great point, too, that there's another application out there that's similar to the FAFSA called the CSS Profile. That's mostly used by private schools um, in the nation, and there's probably 200 or so private schools that use that. That is a separate application that the school would require, but that application, you are correct. If you are divorced or separated, they will still more than likely ask for custodial and non-custodial parents. So yeah. um, if, if you're one of, if those are one of the schools, then yeah, you'll, you'll have to kind of do a couple of different things for those. Mm-hmm. I just emphasize it because I've worked with a lot of families that got surprised by that. So yeah. not and a thing more, for the FAFSA, but. Yeah. And more and more schools now are, the private schools are starting to require the, the CSS profile back, you know, when I was on the West coast working in financial aid offices and private schools, we, that wasn't even something I'd ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's, it's becoming the norm. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I don't know if Whittier required it, but Reed and the University of Chicago required it, unless the person was able to say this, 
you know, my father is completely out of my life and has not been a part of it for right. ages or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you if know. you can prove that, you know, the other parent isn't providing, you know, the support or you're not having contact with them, then certainly they, they take that into consideration too. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. Back to the FAFSA. Yeah, fine. It's yeah. <laughs> great info. Yeah. All right. So what information does the FAFSA look at? Um, so as I kind of said earlier, the, the FAFSA will look at the, um, it, it basically goes two, two years back on, um, for tax returns. So if your child's going to school in the fall of 2021, they're looking at your 2019 tax return. Um, so, but it's looking at things like um, the adjusted gross income from your taxes, um, taxes paid. It looks at the wages for each of the parents. Um, it'll ask the same information of the student as well. So if the student has filed a tax return at the school, or I'm sorry, if the student has worked, um, even if they didn't file a tax return, it's going to ask for wages and things like that for each um, separate group for the student and the parent. So it'll ask for assets. So even though the tax return is looking back at 2019 this year, the assets that you report are always as of the day you're filling out the FAFSA. So whatever your assets are worth that day, that's what you're going to report, not from 2019. Mm -hmm. um, it looks for student earned, as I said, student earned and unearned income, um, student assets, if, if they have any, they look for that. Um, luckily, the, the great thing about the FAFSA nowadays is that they have a really good tool that helps you retrieve your tax information from the IRS website so that it makes it filing it even easier. Because I remember back in financial aid offices, you know, 10 years ago, um, parents would oftentimes put in the wrong information and that would affect their eligibility for financial aid because they were having to read their own tax return information and put those, those numbers in. Mm. Um, now you don't necessarily have to do that anymore. You can use the IRS um, retrieval tool to get your tax information into the FAFSA and then you're just filling out a few of the other things on your own. So it is important if you can have a copy of your, your taxes in front of you and, and your assets, it helps greatly. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. All right. So how do schools use the FAFSA, the colleges where the students are applying? Yeah, good question. So um, when you're filing the FAFSA, basically the, all the information that you put into the FAFSA results in what the um, Department of Education calls your expected family contribution. Schools refer to that as an EFC. So the EFC is basically, that's the number that is, is, um, is created when you fill out your FAFSA and submit it. That's the amount of money that the Department of Education thinks that this family can reasonably contribute towards one year of your child's expenses. And so that amount depends on your income and your assets and all the other things that you're reporting on your FAFSA. So, you know, if your, EF, your EFC could be zero, which means that, you know, they don't think that you have the money to help pay for college. It could be 70,000, which means they think that you have $70,000 somewhere that you could afford to help pay each year school. So, um, the schools all use that same expected family contribution, whether they're community college, private school, state school. So that one number is what determines your eligibility for what we call need-based financial aid, scholarships, grants, work study, um, interest-free student loans while you're in school, things like that. Okay. All right. And what if someone makes a mistake or on their FAFSA or needs to add more than 10 schools? Yeah, so nowadays there's a lot of students applying to more than 10 schools just to keep their options open and have a good balanced college list. So um, the FAFSA does have a good feature that once you've submitted it, you can add up to 10 schools at one time. But if you need to add more, you can certainly go back in and it allows you to make corrections. So you can sign back into the FAFSA once it's been processed. You want to wait maybe a week before you do that. 
go back in and you can delete schools and you can add more. Or if you've made a mistake with numbers or something, you can make those corrections too. You just want to make sure that the FAFSA has been processed first before you go back in to make corrections. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. All right. And last question, can I transfer my information from one child's FAFSA form to another so you don't have to re-enter it? Yes. And that's an amazing thing that they have now for the FAFSA website, that if you have more than one child or if you have twins or something going to school at the same time, and you know, you need to fill a FAFSA out for each one. Once you have one child's FAFSA form complete, you're going to get, you're going to get a confirmation page. And on that confirmation page, you see a hyperlink and the link will say, transfer your parents' information into a new FAFSA. You just need to make sure you have your pop-up blockers off, but you click that link and then it will put all of your information into the next child's FAFSA. So you don't have to do a lot of retyping. So that's a, a really awesome feature that they didn't have in the past. <laughs> that sounds amazingly helpful. Actually. It is. I have so many parents that are going, oh, thank God, just because they know. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's a lot to fill that FAFSA out the first time. So if you have to do it again, mm. it's okay. So that's a good Yeah. Feature. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chrissy. I appreciate it. Thanks, Sally. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We're going to be taking a short break. And then Lauren Randall and I will be discussing whether to report your SAT or ACT scores to colleges, if you even have them. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody, and welcome, Lauren. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Sally. It's good to be with you. All right, so this is a pretty complicated topic, and I swear just about every phone call I have um, it comes up, which is, should I submit my test scores? If I have them, I took them back in December. They weren't as good as I was hoping, or I've tried to take the SAT or the ACT four times and it's been canceled every time. Mm-hmm. Or, um, I was able to sign up, but it's three hours away <laughs> and I'm going to have to rent a hotel room and my mom's going to have to come with me, et cetera, et cetera. Is it worth it? So Mm-hmm. lots of stuff going on there. And uh, some of the time I have to say it depends. Some of the time I have to say, 
definitely submit. Some of the time I have to say, do not submit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what are your, like, let's kind of like dig into it, maybe sort of like one scenario at a time. Like, how would you unpack this, Lauren? Sure. Well, first of all, I agree that I think that this is probably the number one question we're getting. I think it's first and foremost, very difficult for families and students to all of a sudden switch their mindset and think, well, what do you mean? Testing is all of a sudden not important or are they lying to us and say, you know, the students that do submit it are going to have a better shot than the students that don't. So I think it's really hard to to trust um, that when a mm-hmm. school says that they are test optional, that you will get a fair review. But remember, all the other pieces of your application are going to be that much mm-hmm. more important. So I think it really comes down to whether or not the student believes either their previous test score or potentially what their test score could be is going to be a real strength of their mm-hmm. application. If you don't think it's going to be a strength, or you are very stressed out about this, or you haven't been prepping, remove it, remove that burden from you and and focus on the other pieces of your application. So first of all, I think that's my number one message is trust. Mm-hmm. When they say test optional, they really do mean it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm working with um, one student who, um, I really want to have take the test if he can because his grades are weaker and mm-hmm. his practice tests are consistently like, you know, in at in a range that would help him, right? Like the lower range of his practice test should be helpful for the colleges that he's looking at. So with him, I'm like, I know this might be a pain, but I want you to try and do it. Um, but with other students, I mean, I would say actually in most cases, I'm actually telling students to stop worrying about it and just submit what they have. Is that what you're doing? Like no test scores, just transcript and everything else. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that there are some students that it is worth it for them to take it. If they have invested a lot of time, energy, maybe money in prepping for this test, go and you have the opportunity to take it and take it safely, you feel comfortable with that, then go for it. But you know that it's not gonna hurt you to take that test. Most schools then are still test optional. If you don't ultimately hit what you want, for most schools, you can still withhold it. So mm-hmm. if you've been prepping for it, you feel prepared and you think this is gonna be a strength of your application, go for it. Um, I think a lot of students I'm saying, don't bother because either they prepped for it months and months ago and have just, mm. you know, focused on other things. You're not going to magically walk into this test and knock it out of the park. If you are out of test prep mode for months and months, these tests are not mm-hmm. easy. They don't come naturally to most students. Um, even being in that timed setting is, is not natural. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really need to evaluate where you are um, with test prep. So, you know, I I think that that's kind of my main advice here. I think the bigger question that we need to talk about is the situation of, I have a test score. Should Mm -hmm. I submit that one? Are you getting a lot of those cases too? Oh, yeah, I am. And it's really challenging for people to parse that out. Um, You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, and honestly, it's a little tough for us too, right? Like, I mean, if you look, for example, at the Ivies, 
their reported test scores go, go far lower in all honesty than I tell students to go ahead and report. Because I think what people don't realize is that the students who are, who are scoring in kind of the lower half of that range are typically in special categories that are institutional priorities like recruited athletes where the standards are still high, but they're lower. So just because a student is sort of in the range doesn't necessarily mean they want to submit, but at another institution, maybe they do. So how do you help people parse that out, Lauren? Well, I think I, I think that message right there, it, I would sum up what you just said as that it's not a choice of send everywhere or mm-hmm. send nowhere. It really mm-hmm. is. So for if you have 10 schools on your list, you should have a sheet and you say, send or not send, send or not send, because it could be a case by case situation. I don't think it's a one side, you know, again, send everywhere or send nowhere. I don't think that that's really the choice you have to make. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe. So how do you figure that out? So mm-hmm. I'm talking to students. Well, first of all, we don't know what this coming year is going to look like in terms mm-hmm. of best averages, but we do know what last year looked like. So I still think it's important for students, again, make your little, make an Excel spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the easiest place is to go to the College Board's Big Future site. So bigfuture.collegeboard.org. You put in the name of the college, you click on applying, and it will show you the range of SAT or ACT scores of admitted students from last year. My advice is if your test score falls in the middle or upper end of that published range, send it. If your test score is in the low end of the range or not in the range at all, don't send it. It's mm-hmm. not going to help you. So mm-hmm. that's what I would do one by one uh, for mm-hmm. your schools on your list. Yeah. And that is the basic rule that I tell people too. I mean, you know, if a school admits 80%, you probably could submit it if it was lower, but let's just be safe and say, yeah, middle of the range, right? Or higher. If you are in that range, the test score is going to be an asset to you. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in your application process. So I, I completely agree in that. Um, the One other thing I would say, though, is that occasionally some colleges will actually post their test score averages on their website, like mm-hmm. University of Illinois or Banish-Champaign does this, I think. You know, so it, it's worth it, I think, to take a quick look for it. But mm-hmm. um, in general, Big Future is probably where you're going to find that data. Um, I also ran into the other day when I was talking to a student, a college that only reported the SAT and not the ACT. And so my recommendation was go to a conversion chart and convert your scores and figure out. So just do that. Don't get like stuck by that. And don't worry that, you know, you're going to be in trouble because you didn't take the right test either. You know, they'll take either. They just don't have enough data. So um, all right. Any other complications though? Like if a student is thinking about not going test optional or sorry about using the test optional thing and not submitting a test score, it's not just admission that comes into play. So, you know, what are your thoughts there? I think it's also important to note, and this is again, this is tedious research, but this is your job school by school. You should know whether or not the, the school requires standardized testing for any merit scholarship consideration. Um, so the school, the admissions might be test optional, but they might say in order to be qualified for a merit scholarship or certain scholarships, you must submit testing. So if that's important to you um, and, and might change your list or your practice of whether or not to take this test again, you should be informed of that. Um, that might 
require some digging or even picking up the phone or emailing the admissions office directly. But that's something you'd rather you should know now rather than down the road when you're too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pick up the phone, call the admission office, use the chats that they have. Mm-hmm. You can even tweet at them these days, you know, I mean, and you might be able to get an answer. So, but yeah, I think this is the research that a lot of families are hoping to avoid, but I just think this year is more complicated. And I also think with some places it's a moving target. Like, have you heard that whether University of Florida is still requiring test scores or not? I mean, they were sort of like a last holdout. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who they are now, but. And well, what I think is so interesting is that things are still not entirely set in stone with University of California system right. recently going, saying they were test optional and now they are test blind or mm-hmm. you know not going to consider testing at all. And it's not totally, we haven't even heard completely from the schools. That was a federal ruling. So this is just so interesting that things are still evolving and how it might impact, you know, years to come. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the testing world, if, if there's maybe, if you are, if testing, I think for a lot of students causes anxiety, if that's, if you are an underclassman, freshman, a sophomore, junior, this might be the silver lining of, mm-hmm. of COVID uh, consequences that might really benefit you moving forward. That I, I have a feeling that a lot of test optional schools are going to remain that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there was even, um, I, it was inside inside higher ed or something. Somebody did a poll and actually a lot of schools are planning that, which I think also should give students reassurance that they will be read fairly without the test scores, you know? Absolutely. And I think if there's one clear message that sends, if you're, if you're if you are hearing testing is not as important as you think it is, what you also need to be hearing is that grades are even more important than you think they are. So if you're an mm-hmm. underclassman, um, nothing matters more than grades and your curriculum choices. So mm-hmm. put the emphasis mm-hmm. there for sure, because you have control over that. Yeah, exactly. That is where you have the most control. So um, yeah. And all right. What about submitting test scores? I mean, a lot of people think they need to send official scores. And the fact is not all colleges require those now. Sure. Yeah. A lot of colleges allow self-reported scores. And what that means is within the common application or the coalition application, um, there's a testing section that is optional to fill out. You don't, you can submit the, this, those applications without filling it out, but that's self-reporting. And if the college allows self-reported scores, you don't need to pay the 10 or $12, whatever it is to send from the testing agency, you will ultimately have to validate it and send it. If you're admitted and want to enroll, you have to then send the test scores uh, eventually. So that's just another, if you want to save, you know, $10 here and there um, that can help. But on the flip side, just remember for test, uh, that testing section on the common app is not required to be, to fill out. So if you want to leave that blank, that's okay. And then, um, you know, again, your your school by school choice of do I send or do I not send, you can uh, do that from the testing agency itself. Mm-hmm. Well, and you can even modify the common application by school by school. I don't recommend that because I feel like there's so many opportunities for error for sending the wrong version to the wrong school. But yeah. if you're very careful, I do think that that is an option sometimes. Yeah. Like, I talk about that with APs for students where they can just self-report. I would say public universities, typically a three is fine for private schools. I recommend don't report unless it's a four or above, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Last sort of scenario that I don't, that we didn't cover um, is 
if you should, if you are, if you haven't taken any tests and you have one scheduled for, let's say October, you're hoping to take it. Should you wait to apply mm-hmm. for, for if a school's rolling admissions? And I think that one's really tricky. You kind of have to have a crystal ball here of what you're going to score. So at the very least, I would be saying, are you taking practice tests? Do you have an idea, a prediction of your test range? But typically, if it's rolling admissions, I still think students should get those applications in sooner rather than later or meet the early action deadline. I think mm-hmm. that as long as your grades and your essays are all in a great place, I think that's probably going to be a bigger advantage than having you know, a, a test score. Um, but one more thing to note is see if the college allows you to to apply, send in your application, and then later update with testing. That is a school-by-school decision that you have to uh, figure out their policies as well. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of bummed that not all colleges are allowing that. I mean, under the circumstances, you would think that they would, but, you know, anyway. All right, well, I think we've covered everything. Any last, any last thoughts, Lauren? Has it just... Hang in there, guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if it helps, the colleges are stressed out about all this too. I don't know if it does, very, but very, so I, 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 I yeah. think the tears that testing has never been fun, and wow, it continues to not be fun to navigate yeah. these. Yeah, these but I think you're right. The one silver lining of all this is that if you are somebody who tests make you anxious, and you're a younger student, ninth grade, tenth grade, you may end up it not being a big deal. It may end up being completely unnecessary for you. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks, Allie. All right. So we're going to be taking a short break, but when we get back, Ian and I will be discussing his his coping with being denied from his first choice college. I don't know why I'm taking so much glee and talking about Ian being denied, but, (laughs) you know, he's a colleague. We like to tease him. So, all right. Take care, Lauren. Thank you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. College admissions can be stressful. But Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, Ian, my co-host. <laughs> I love what you've done the pl- done with the place while I've been <laughs> exactly. gone. Looks 
It looks fabulous. It's a little different. I have, uh, yeah, I've got my plant camouflaging the messy desk back there, you know, trying to, trying to gussy the place up a little bit. So we would, we would never have noticed if you hadn't said something. <laughs> That's so. true. Yeah. Um, all right. So you did not get into your first choice college. I certainly and, didn't. And you know what? A lot of students, as much as because you're my colleague, I probably will mock you for this. I promise I would never do that to a current student. Um, and actually a lot of students are, might be going through this soon. You know, I mean, you, you yeah. reach for the, these incredibly selective schools. There's a good chance, honestly, I mean, every day, I'm sure you're with me. Um, I have conversations with families who are like, should I apply to Stanford? And I'm like, well, it depends on what your criteria is for choosing colleges that you want to apply to. That's right. If you want to apply to schools that you're likely to get into, then no, you should not apply to Stanford. That's right. Not because Absolutely you're not right. great. Not because you're not great. But like, probably you're not getting in, no matter how kind of amazing you are. And I talked to some truly amazing students. And even with them, the best thing I can say to them is you will be taken seriously in the committee room. That's right. I'm like, that's the best I can say. And then I'm not sure if I was still <laughs> probably be denied. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. So, and, yeah. So go ahead. Well, you know, I think the criteria that's really important um, to think about. And I don't think that I spent a lot of time thinking about that when I was in high school. Um, I, you know, I was a pretty good high school student. I was in the top 3% of my class. I was the uh, concert master of the orchestra. I played on the baseball team. I did lots of service. I was involved in almost everything. Right. So from a local view, I felt like, oh, wow, I've really got a shot for these schools, mm -hmm. but I didn't have anybody advising me or sort of saying, well, here's what the applicant pool actually looks like. And so I just sort of figured, well, what are the best schools? I'm going to apply to a bunch of those. And I've seen that they admit about 10% of their applicants. I'm going to apply to about 10 of them. And that means right. I get into one, right? So like my, my How philosophy. Is it that Smartest students don't understand statistics. Uh, yeah, well, I never <laughs> take it a statistics class, unfortunately. Um, and so I totally missed that. And mm -hmm. um, the results came back in a way that, that definitely showed that I didn't really understand what I was doing. Um, I think it's also fair to say that I really liked Pomona. Pomona was my first choice. I went over, I visited. Um, I think I would have been a good fit for, for Pomona. But a lot of the other schools I applied to mostly on name recognition, um, Harvard, Stanford, Northwestern, Georgetown, UC Berkeley, um, uh, Dartmouth. I applied to all of those schools without really having visited them or even knowing much about them. And actually, Sally, when I went and visited Stanford, I walked around campus and was just kind of like, this is too big. Like, I, I don't really, I don't get it, but it still was at the top of my list mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Um, I only happened to apply to Reed because my dad, who's a college professor, recommended it to me. He mm -hmm. was like, Reed's a really cool school. You should apply there. And so I figured, all right, well, I'll just, I'll throw it on my list just to sort of see what happens. And um, Reed was the first school that I heard back from and I got in. And that was still in the old days where we were notified with the big envelope and I opened it up and mm -hmm. Reed puts confetti on the inside. And so mm -hmm. it came flying out and I was like, all right, great. Well, this will be the first of many and sort of put it aside and didn't even really celebrate <laughs> the that. The arrogance of youth. <laughs> totally, totally, 100%. And so then the skinny envelope started arriving one after mm -hmm. another from these schools. And it was just, you know, unfortunately or regretfully or, you know, whatever. And so mm -hmm. it started to become clearer and clearer that, you know, I've, I'm down to really three choices here if I don't want to go to one of my in-state institutions, which my mom had forbidden me from choosing. She sort of said, you need to leave the state to go out mm -hmm. and, and have a college adventure. So um, 
So that was tough. I mean, it was really, really hard. I think for somebody who had been successful in most contexts in my high school career, this was the first time that there had been a sort of referendum on what I could create, what I could produce. And, and I felt like I had failed. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things that I really point to for students, that was a challenge for me in this context was I felt like I wasn't actively choosing the school I wanted to go to that I was sort of stuck with leftovers. It was kind of like, okay, here's the, here's what's left. You can, you can go to read or you can go to UC San Diego or UC Santa Barbara. I got into those schools as well. And they're great schools, but because of so, so many schools had denied me, I just felt really bad about mm -hmm. how the process had gone. Um, and that, that really still lingers with me. It's part of why I got into college admission in the beginning in, in, to begin with, because I thought it was such an interesting process. Mm -hmm. So that, so how did you like, how did you kind of manage to turn it around and start to celebrate the institutions that you got into, or did that not really happen until you got to college? It was hard. I mean, I think I, my mom took me up to visit Reed in April. And I think at that point I was on the wait list at Dartmouth and, and still thought that there was a possibility there. But as you and I know now, you know, mm -hmm. that's really unrealistic. Um, and so I was sort of evaluating Reed with this sort of resignation, like a sense of, okay, well, here's where I'm going. Um, and so I found things about the school that I liked and they tended to really sort of center on the classes that I was able to observe as a student there. The lecture that I went to, Steve Arkonovich, who actually became my advisor later on, was mm. giving this great lecture on philosophy um, and religion and asked this question of whether God could create a stone so heavy that he himself could not lift it. And mm. how that is um, a test for God, because he, there's either way, there's something he can't do. Mm. Either he can't create the stone because he can lift anything, or he creates the stone and then he can't lift it. And mm. so it was this really interesting question that was sort of pre presented in a way that I hadn't really seen in high school. And that's what got me, I think, most excited about starting school at Reed in the fall, but it really took a long process over the summer of registering for housing and starting to get communications where I finally felt like when I was leaving to go to school that I was, I was looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. um, so it was not the dream scenario that I think a lot of high school students consider. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think one of the things that happens with a lot of students and I'm kind of and it seems clear that this became part of the process for you is that they do feel like it's a referendum on their worth yeah, as a person, which it really isn't, you know, at all. I mean, not being able to get into schools that like at that level of selectivity is, is says nothing about who you are. And frankly, we can all point to numerous examples of people who, yeah. you know, didn't get into schools like that. You know, Warren Buffett not getting into Harvard is one of my favorite ones. And then by the way, going to UPenn and leaving and going back to University of, ne of uh, Nebraska right. didn't really hurt him. You know, That's I think right. he's done pretty he's well doing okay. for himself. He's doing he's, okay. You know, <laughs> like, so, but this sense that it's a referendum on your worth instead of just kind of a next stage and what's yeah. going to be the right place for you. So it, you know, would you say that that was part of it for you or, or that I was guess, yeah, a huge part of it. I mean, it was, it was hard for me to come to grips with that. And, and, um, I mean, 
I had definitely had some arrogance. Like when I look back at my college essay, I'm sort of like, Oh, I can't believe I wrote that. Like, it wasn't great. It was about how I love to debate with my friends and how some of my other friends thought it was weird that we were always arguing. I mean, I love that. And it, it actually mm-hmm. pointed the way toward read quite a bit because we like to talk so much about interesting ideas, but, um, you know, I, because I was somebody that was so confident, um, it was a big surprise. And I think that the thing that I really did wrong, Sally, um, you know, I was done with all of my applications by about the first week of October. I was so excited to apply to college. I had the stamped envelopes for my recommenders. I had every supplement written. Mm -hmm. I was just so excited to do it. Um, I also really didn't consult with anyone about the Mm -hmm. process. It was very much my own. My parents trusted me to do it. I didn't have people look at my essays. I just sort of went for it and felt really confident in what I was sharing. And I think if I had had even one conversation with my college counselor that was sort of like, what do you think about my list? What do you think about my essay? I might've had an entirely different approach just from one conversation. And so that's really where I feel like I, I made the biggest mistake was in, in not consulting with others. And so people who are listening to this radio show, they're already you know, taking the advice of mm-hmm. us and listening to, to what we have to offer. And so I think you're, you're already in a better position than I was when I was applying to college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, one of the things that I did right was I talked about my list with my um, AP US history teacher, who was nice. my favorite teacher, hands down. That was my favorite class in high school. He knew me really well. And he was one of my recommenders. And I came in and I said, what do you, what do you think about read? It looks really interesting to me. Yeah. And he's like, that's like the perfect school for you, Sally. Awesome. And it was really interesting too, because he had gone to Berkeley and he basically most of the time told everybody to go to Berkeley. And he was like, I, I really think Reed is more the place for you. That's great. And, and like, I didn't have a high school count. My high school counselor was great, but she was totally overwhelmed. She had hundreds yeah. and hundreds of students, many of whom were, had real problems like dropping out of college, not, you know, do I apply yeah. to these, which fancy schools do I apply to? And, um, and so I just, she just wasn't like a great option, but having, and I bring this story up because I think a lot of people listening are like, well, my high school counselor doesn't have time for me. I don't know her. Use the other adults in your life. Right. Talk to that trusted teacher, you know, That's exactly absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can talk to teachers that you trust. You can ask for their perspective just talking to other adults who, you know, um, family, friends, I think going beyond the, as a teenager, you sort of, somebody asks you, Hey, are you working on your college applications? You come sometimes want to really shut that conversation down and move into the next room, Mm -hmm. but you can learn a lot from other adults about, you know, what their process looked like, you know, kids that they know who went through this process, things that they've learned about it. Um, you don't want to take everything that, you know, the neighbor says as gospel, as we've talked mm-hmm. about on this show many times. Mm-hmm. But but I do think that um, just having more perspective from people can really, really be helpful um, as you go through it. And I, you know, my sort of stroke of luck was that my dad recommended read. I mean, I, I honestly don't know how it even came across our radar. It might've been just a mailing that they sent, but it was so mm-hmm. unusual relative to the other schools that were on my list. I mean, Pomona and Reed were the only two small liberal arts college I applied to. I really wish I'd applied to Whitman and Carleton and, you know, even Williams, like it would have been great um, mm-hmm. to have considered those options as well, but mm-hmm. I, I, I missed it. Um, it worked out other, though. I think what's that? I think it, it worked, worked out. out though. Yeah. And that's what I, yeah, that's a, that's a great sort of, I grew into read. I mean, I, it was a place that was not, um, I didn't like show up there and instantly loved it. 
Um, mm-hmm. It really took time for me to warm to the place. Part of what caused that to happen was that I found the ultimate Frisbee team and mm-hmm. started playing with them and, and made a lot of friends instantly just by being a part of that team. Um, so that gave me an anchor. It gave me something to look forward to through the weeks. Um, I really enjoyed my classes thoroughly. Um, and so that was a huge part for me. Um, and then when I was a senior and I worked in the admission office, I had to, whenever I was giving a tour, talking to a student, talk about only the positive things at school. And so that affected my perspective of the place because I was saying, oh yeah, this great thing happened, or I'll tell you about this story from the other day. And that sort of just my perspective on thinking about the the school really changed for the better. Um, In many ways, it can be just how you look at it, how you consider your, your experience that can, that can affect how you feel about your school. Right. Are you focusing on the negative or are you focusing on the positive Mm -hmm. things that are happening? You know, you can focus on the one negative, you know, grade that you got on your paper, or you can focus on the great conversations that you are having with your friends. I, I want to stress too, that, you know, you can get into your first choice and also be unhappy and not warm to yes. it immediately. Um, right. I mean, I think like what you talk about joining the ultimate Frisbee team, that's important even at your first choice college, you know, right. like, I mean, it, it's kind of amazing how often, I mean, I used to work with transfers. You and I both went to Reed. I worked with transfers when I worked in the admission office at Reed before you even applied. Um, but when I worked with the transfers, it was really notable how many of them had like sort of initially thought that they wanted like a huge school and they'd yeah. transfer from, you know, UC Berkeley, UCLA, University of Michigan or something like that. Or maybe they'd gone to college across the country and realized that they really missed like that kind of Portland vibe. Like they were a Portlander and they're like... Yeah. I need the Portland vibe, you know, so they, these are people who'd gotten into their first choice and then it just wasn't the right place for them when it came right down to it. It wasn't that they couldn't do the work. I mean, we were admitting them, so they were getting good grades. That wasn't an issue, but it, it, you know, you you have to make it work for you. There's something to that idea as well of sort of how you come to have a first choice or a ranked list of priorities. I mean, when I got into Reed and UC San Diego and UC Santa Barbara, my initial thought on the UCs was those are too big. I don't think I could see myself there. And that's such a silly thing to have realized in March of my senior year. It's like, why didn't I think about that back in November when I was applying to those schools? And so I think sometimes students go, don't go through this process of really thinking about why am I applying to this place? Why is this school on my list? Do I really want to be a student there? You've got to have that conversation with yourself before you apply. And if you don't, you're going to have to have it later after you get in. So you might as well sort of think really realistically about what the best kind of fit institution is going to be for you from the front end. I think that's a really important question to ask. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thanks so much, Ian. We've run out of time. Thank you very much, Sally. It was fun. All right. And thanks to Chrissy Ferran and Lauren Randall. Um, Be sure to join us for our show next week. We'll We'll be covering the essay supplements for Georgia Tech and UGA and the non-essay but still very important parts of the common application, like the activity list, et cetera. Um, And remember, if you have questions about a particular topic, we may have already covered it. So to find a particular show's broadcast date, please do go to our blog page at blog.getintocollege.com. You can search for blogs there, getting in show summaries there, et cetera. And then uh, last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. So check us out. See you next week, guys. (laughs) 
Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.